couple teams that we want to cover for where they are in different places than the Knicks moving forward are the Rockets and the Raptors. Those are the two teams we want to talk about. Um, start with the Rockets. I know, Jeff, I know you watch a ton of Rockets for some strange reason. Uh, so I'm, I'm really, you know, I want you to kind of drive the ship because you watch them much more than I do. Um, I know, you know, no, I know you have a, a, like a couple of favorites, at least one in Jabari Smith Jr. But uh, Houston is 20th in the league in offense, 22nd in the league in effective field goal percentage. They are seventh in the league in defense, fourth in opponents effective field goal percentage. So the defense is really locking in. Um, where do you want to start? We're talking about the Rockets. So, by the way, my new favorite Rocket is Cam Whitmore. I don't know if you know this, but that's right. He's been yeah. they Another they've one. let him they've let him loose, um, and he has just been relatively awesome lately. This isn't. I mean, this is Rocket stock, but I know you know a lot about this player. I find Fred Van Vliet to be one of the most confounding players in the NBA because I don't think I've ever actually seen a shot of his go in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's like, do you, do, you, do, you, do you do you feel that way about any players? I do. Like, yeah. No, every time I, 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 I totally watch, hear every that. Yeah, every time ahead. I watch him, I'm like, this shot isn't going in, and then it never does. It doesn't, and then I look up, and somehow he's the be- he's the he's the best offensive player by offensive EPM. He's shooting 39% from three. No shot. That is a real stat. That can't be true. It just can't be. I've seen I've seen them all, and there's no way 39% of them are going in. I would believe that 39% of them like almost hit the ceiling, but they're, they're not, not gone in the basket. Yeah. Every every advanced stat loves him. I like love him in theory. Like if like like if you actually were like described a player and you describe the theoretical player that Fred Van Vliet is supposed to be. Oh, he's this good defender who can guard up and he's really gritty. He shoots 39% from three on high volume. He's a good passer. I'd be like, fuck yeah, dude, sign me up. I want that guy. (laughs) But when I watch him, I'm like, this isn't him. I swear to God, that's not him. So I just need you just explain Fred Van Vliet to me. Why, why is there this dichotomy <laughs> between why, – why is there this crater between what I'm watching and what the stats are telling me? Yeah, so I, I do, I do want to say first, I totally validate your view that it's impossible that he's shooting 39% from three. I agree. When I watch Fred Van Vliet, it's, the shots never go in. It's crazy. Uh, actually, I, I'm going to rescind that. The shots never go in unless it's like two minutes left in the game, in which case they always go in when you're Fred Van Vliet. Somehow, no matter what he's shooting for the game, at the end, they go in every time. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy. So I, I agree with you. Also, another note, 38.5% at the rim. He's okay. shooting 38.5% at the rim. That is, I don't even, that has to be worse than the league on, on, on a regular it's in the, player. It's in the first person. It's in the first percentile. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Um, Van Vliet, I think it's gotta be intangible stuff. And like, I, it's, it's like, I need to ask you because he, seems like he's an incredible leader he seems like everybody respects him he seems like he gets the offense organized he seems like you know people defer to him and he makes good decisions constantly um you know his turnover percentage is relatively high but his turnover percentage relative to his assist percentage is not high he has a 33 percent assist percentage which is 97th percentile in the nba um 
it just seems to me like he orchestrate he can orchestrate an offense and he has great leadership qualities and all that stuff comes out in intangible ways on the court I haven't watched like the most Rockets games I want to say I've watched like five Rockets games in full and then spot in spots here and there so I'm not the the best uh you know Van Vliet whisperer but somehow he's done this throughout his whole career I mean last year he shot 34 percent from three which sounds a lot more accurate um but had a similar offensive impact. And I think to me, it just seems like he has incredible feel for the game. He gets guys in the right spots, something that you like to say about Chris Paul a lot. Um, He is able to get guys in the right spots and have them be their most effective selves. And he's always willing to shoot. So I think he does command that gravity when he's not, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and he knows how to orchestrate an offense defensively is really where I love Fred Van Vliet and my love for him defensively really started to shine when I watched how he played Jalen Brunson. Um, I think it was last year, maybe Jalen Brunson was just like on a tear offensively and was toasting every, they were kept putting wings on him. The opponents kept putting wings on him to try to slow him down with their length. And he was just roasting. He just take him to the mid range and punish them. Um, then they played the Raptors. The Knicks played the Raptors and, uh, Fred Van Vliet like completely locked down Jalen Brunson in all one-on-one opportunities. They were desperate to get Van Vliet off of him, bringing screens, anyone to get Van Vliet off of Jalen Brunson. And you would think those are two like-sized players. You would think if Brunson can do this against wings who are six inches taller than him, in some cases, he should be able to have an easy time with Van Vliet. Nope, no, 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 no. Van Vliet doesn't go for any fakes. He knows exactly what you want to do. He knows exactly what spots you want to get to. When you get to those spots, you can't move him, no matter if you're bigger than him or anything like that. He is, uh, when you think of a pit bull defensively, he's a pit bull defensively. So his defensive impact makes a lot more sense to me. Offensively, I have to imagine there's some real intangible stuff going on that we need deep film analysis to really figure out. But at least those are some of the things that I think that are going on. Yeah, and I I love that defensive breakdown because I I love stuff that goes against intuition because it it highlights how you know you, you you should trust your intuition but you should always be open to the fact that your intuition can be misguided or it can be filled with bias and like can you imagine if Fred Van v- Van Vliet played for Tibbs you know like <laughs> like just you know not, not not to beat that drum again but just like would would he even be on the team he'd, he'd be sent to mars you know he's too small <laughs> um he's too small and he's he has the worst field goal percentage in the league at the rim that's not what a point guard looks like um yeah that's funny and to your to to answer your question he actually does have the very worst rim percentage in the entire nba um the rest of the top five is Alec Burks, JT Thor, Scoot Henderson, and Cody Zeller. Um, oh my goodness! Cody Zeller's Cody... in there. That that does that's weird. That's not good. Yeah, how's he hanging around in the league? He's a center who can't shoot threes. So that doesn't make sense. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. But that's wild that he has that. So Van Vliet is the worst finisher at the, the rim in the NBA. Thirty-eight point five percent. Alec okay. Burks is second worst at 39, 39.1 percent. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and that'll be fun for me to watch going forward, just to watch him try layups and stuff. You know, that'll be <laughs> that'll, that'll be another uh, source of amusement in the Fred Van Vliet roller coaster. Um, just go back to the Rockets. I mean, I think we have to talk about Shangun, who's just an incredible basketball player. Like he's just. 
He's so good. Um, I look, everybody was wrong about the Rockets before the season. I do think they're going to keep falling off um, a little bit. I don't expect them to like make the playoffs. I'd be very impressed if they made the playoffs. But I think the most interesting thing regarding the Rockets right now is so they took a lot of flack for in the offseason throwing money at Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet. You know, it was sort of this idea that like, okay, you have Jabari Smith, you have Jalen Green, you you know, you you just drafted Amen Thompson. This is a rebuilding team. Why would you draft these two guys who don't quote unquote fit the timeline? And I don't know what you think, but in my opinion, we're learning that it's possible to do two things at once. And Brooks and I didn't even mention mention Shangun. Like obviously he's a part of their young core with Smith and uh Green and Amen Thompson and Whitmore and Tari Eason. Um I think that Brooks and Van Vliet have brought in a sense of I don't want to say direction, but just they're not gonna take bullshit. I mean, we joked about it a month or two ago when they played at LA and there was the technical. And Tari Eason just mindlessly went to shoot the technical. And Van Vliet was just like, dude, get the fuck out of here. Like, what do you like? He laughed at him, you know? And like, I bet, I bet shit like that was happening in Houston last year. You know, like just guys yeah. mosey into the free guys mosey into the free throw line, like, oh, I'll just go take the technical. And Van Vliet's just like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you know, and like you extrapolate that over to other aspects, you know, practice. And you have to imagine that while the opportunities aren't the same, there are intangible areas where these guys development curves are improving because of these guys, uh, because of the presence of these guys on the team. I don't know if you agree with that or disagree. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And, and, and this is tough because it's hard to have, I mean, to, to quantify this is not hard. It's not possible, but I do think that that is, if it seems to be a very important intangible factor, at least I'll say based on my intuition and, and you just mentioned about questioning our intuitions and those things. So obviously I'm always questioning my intuition and open to, to, to it being wrong, but I do think that that matters. And I think that that situation that you mentioned about Tari Eason, like going to the free throw line to take the technical free throw, even though he shoots like 62% from, from the free throw line or whatever it is. And Van Vliet just being like, Nah, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing, bro? Go go somewhere, you know, like not not even like not in like a kind way like, hey, bro, like let me take it's like, no, bro, get out of here. Like this is stupid. We don't do stupid stuff over here. And um, and I think that that matters. I think that that changes the culture. I think Udoka is helping to change their culture. And I think all of those things are super relevant. I agree with you. I think they're going to kind of fall off. I don't think some of the stuff that we're seeing from them is, has been sustainable or stable necessarily, but I do see them developing these younger players and these guys having some good output. They're playing a, a reasonable number of minutes to where they're getting enough playing time that they are getting that development. But at the same time, they are improving and they're 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 being made to like make good decisions they're being held accountable and i think it's a really good balance it seems like from the outside looking in it seems like a really good balance for them and i think that that's i think that's really cool and i think that the fact that you have you know a 28 year old dylan brooks and a 30 year old fred van vliet who again seems to me to be one of the better um leaders in the nba 
I think those are the right guy. I mean, I don't know about Brooks. <laughs> I think Brooks maybe brings it as far as like attitude <laughs> on the court, but I think I think Van Vliet is the right guy to kind of be able to do both of those things at once, and and I think it's definitely happening in Houston. Yeah, and I mean the other team we wanted to talk about, Toronto. You know, we're talking about timelines. They just completely altered their timeline as well. You know, just replacing OG Ananobi with uh, Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett, and I feel like they're about to change it even more drastically because it appears Siakam is on the way out. And I'm, I, I have, you know, some thoughts. We're going to delve into quickly and RJ in a little bit, but I want to turn it back over to you. I'm of the opinion that the Raptors almost need to do the opposite thing that we were just talking about with Houston. I think they got to get rid of Siakam. I think that, first of all, I just think his the style with which he plays is making it harder for the the duo of quickly and Barnes, which I do think the Raptors view as the main duo, but with how RJ's come out of the gate in Durano, let's just the trio of RJ quickly and Barnes, the three of them need to find chemistry and play off each other. And I think Siakam is making that really, really difficult because you watch the Raptors, you know, quickly gets the ball off a, a rebound and he starts pushing the ball. Siakam is doing the thing where he's on the other side of the court calling for the ball. You know, like he is, I mean, if you're a Knicks fan, if you made it this far, he honestly just reminds me a lot of Julius Randle, both the good and the bad, you know, like just, he is very skilled, very talented. He in theory should work off of other players well, but he does his best work in isolation being a sort of an awkward heliocentric player from the mid-range and for a team that probably isn't going to do much this season I think that Siakam is very very different and uh opposite almost from what RJ and Quickly and Barnes are trying to do together and I think the longer he sticks around the longer it's going to take for those three to build chemistry together what what do you think I mean I think that's spot on. We we texted a little bit about Siakam uh, a couple nights ago and 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 I think the Julius Randle comparison is spot on. I also think a quote unquote awkward heliocentric player from the mid-range is probably the best <laughs> one sentence description for Siakam that I've heard anywhere. <laughs> so I I'm going to give you the, the the credit there and you can coin that one. Um yeah, I think uh I think to me Siakam, I, I, he definitely has to move. And I think it's kind of funny, the, the rumors being like, oh, you know, he'd be a really great fit in, in Golden State. I'm like, I don't think he'd be a great fit in Golden State. I mean, I, I hear the idea where they need kind of an alpha, more of an quote unquote alpha score um, to offset what they're losing with Clay Thompson and and and, and some of the, the, the lack of scoring, that they, scoring punch that they have. I don't think it's Siakam. I don't think he's going to fit in that ball movement, you know, beautiful passing style game where guys are like cutting and passing. I think Siakam wants the ball. He commands the ball. He calls for the ball. And he is always taking shots where it's like, dude, there's two or three guys open and he's not passing it to them. And to be fair, he makes those shots a ton. So it's like hard to really criticize him, but he it's just not good i believe for the development for, of, for those guys you know and, and and to say nothing less of uh grady dick who has obviously had a nightmare campaign so far but he's gonna have to get in there at some point too and you know siaka may pass i, I don't know if he does 
<laughs> what do you think they're just gonna throw away a fir- uh, a first round yeah. pick like that? I think I think it's I think it, I like look like I, I don't want dude. The minutes are rough, and look, I I am sympathetic as hell to the whole like, oh Trey Young and Luca ruined rookies for us. Like when are we gonna let them develop? But like there's looking bad, and then there's looking like you don't belong on the court, and like I don't know, like maybe he'll figure it out. He could. I agree they're not going to give up on him. I just had to say, like, dude, I don't – these <laughs> Do think, minutes are these minutes are rough, man. They're rough. I don't think um, – I don't think he looked this bad, but Obi Toppin's first year as a rookie in New York over his first, like, 20 games or so, it looked bad. He looked like he didn't belong in an NBA court. Like, I, I was like, yo, what? This guy is completely lost. Like, he is yeah. – he looked really bad. Um Scoot Henderson, who I don't think has looked as bad as Grady Dick, you know, he's starting to kind of put it together. I'm not going to say he's like turned it around or anything like that. He was been awful. He's been awful. And then he's had, but he's had some glimpses recently. And did you, you know, see the Suns game? Yeah. 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 I saw the Suns game. Dude, the, those, those highlight packages were so funny. Like, I agree. I'm not, this isn't, I'm not <laughs> laughing at Scoot, but I mean, he was 11 for 32. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like Scoot, Scoot just decided like, fuck it. It's going up tonight. You know, like, and, <laughs> okay. Like, cool. You can put up 30 points like that, but I, I'm high on Scoot overall. I just thought it was funny that I, the amount of those, uh, engagement farming accounts that were like, Oh, this is the top three pick. And it's like, they conveniently left out the efficiency. I, I found No, but do you think he had, do you, so, but he, I think he had a really positive impact on that game. Do you disagree with yeah, that? Like I despite no, the I, inefficient I, I, shooting? No, I thought I, I thought it was one of his more encouraging games. Yeah, yeah, same here. And like, I think that we're gonna see we see stuff like that from rookies. Like, okay, like this is super inefficient, but like, look at all the things he can do. Look at him guarding the ball. Look at like his help defense. Look at his athleticism. Is like really showing how you can make an impact um, offensively. Like, I think we, I think you can see some stuff in like those kinds of performances. And I know you're you're agreeing with that, but I, I'm not. We haven't seen that from Grady Dick. I'll say yet, but he's only played like what is he he's played 20 games so i'm not yeah. throwing in the towel or anything like that yet um i do think he no, has to get you're in there. right you're right uh i i want to make sure that that i'm making that clear you're definitely more right than i am i just like the moment you tossed him in there with them like something went off in my head that was like <laughs> holy shit like i have to like dude, dude this guy it's been it's been rough um it's been rough and, yeah and it, what's been surprising to me is like in the garbage time minutes like when he shoots, he just it does like they like they drafted him to be a knockdown uh, a, a knockdown shooter, you know, and like he just doesn't even seem confident when he's when he's letting it fire right now, like even in the garbage time minutes, which is surprising. Yes, I agree with you in terms of what it looks like as far as like confidence wise. Totally agree with you. He looks like he's shaken and I wouldn't say broken, but definitely shaken. But I, I, I do think, I don't know, maybe it's something about me. I kind of gravitate towards these players who have this kind of confidence issue because I appreciate it. Like I, you know, personally, when I used to play like more pickup basketball, um, when I play basketball, I don't know if it comes through to listeners, but like I talk a lot of shit. Like I talk constantly. I'm yelling. I'm talking trash. Um, it is like a scene when I play pickup basketball. And um, 
you know, but I had friends who I played with who were really good, who could either shoot or other things, but were more quiet, more passive and could kind of get bullied around. And I would like talk shit on their behalf. Like they would make shots and I would just start talking crazy just for uh, like for them. Um, and for whatever reason, like I appreciate people like that. And I feel like it's like up to me to like come to their defense and be like, no, they're, they're, they, they got it. They're good. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is, but so I kind of gravitate to players like that. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I gravitated to Ovi Toppin, you know, on the Knicks is because he started out so poorly, so awfully, where it looked like he didn't belong in the NBA. He looked completely lost and confused. He had that same kind of deer in the headlights look on his on his shooting. It was like, whoa, you know, he'd get that, like, there goes another UFO um, from, from Clyde, Walt Clyde Frazier on the Knicks broadcast um, when he would shoot an air ball. And so... You know, but he was able to turn it around and, and, and when he's able to have that confidence instilled, he looks like a different player. And so I kind of gravitate towards that. That's a lot of Grady Dick talk, but, um, <laughs> but I think, I think we just landed on why you gravitated towards me too, though. Cause like, no, that's what I, don't, I don't think that's, so. that's, that's, no, that's what, that's what, you know, like back when I could shoot, you know, those days, <laughs> okay. I, I didn't say a fucking word, dude. Look at me. Were you, you like that too? Shoot? Oh, dude, I didn't say it. No, I didn't say a word. Ah, so for, so for those in the audience who don't know, um, Jeff no, shot like fifty-five no, percent no, 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 from no. three at, in <laughs> high school, and also what was your free throw shooting percentage? Like ninety something percent like from the free throw line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and you didn't say anything, anything, dude. If I shot fifty-five percent from three, I would still be talking shit. Like those people that I play with in high school would wake up with nightmares of my voice in their head, like just barreled in their brain, like they couldn't get it out. Like I would just still be talking crazy. So, um, yeah, if you if I was on your team. You wouldn't have to say a word. Trust me. I would say it all. I wouldn't. I'd say it all I, on your behalf. <laughs> I wouldn't because most basketball players who are really good could like step on me. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, like I'll just, when you're, when you're short, like you can, you can't talk. And if you can't shoot, then just don't even step on a basketball court. You know, like, I'm, I'm five, nine and I will talk shit to somebody who's six, eight. I don't really care. Don't. I'll play against them in the post. I don't really care. I'll, I'll talk shit to them, guarding them. It's like, I'm just incessant. So yeah, I break all the rules that you just shared. <laughs> I'm not a good shooter. Um, I just, so I break all the rules you just shared. <laughs> you're that good man. You're a great God. I, I told you, like my, I don't know. I said this. To, I don't know if I said this to you, but my comp is Dennis Smith Jr. Like that's my game. Like I'm gonna get into the paint. You're not gonna keep me out of the paint. Um, I'm gonna play a hard nosed defense. Whoever you put in front of me, I'm gonna battle them. Um, if they're a guard, they're probably gonna just give the ball up because they don't want to deal with that. And that's I'm not gonna shoot for shit. So that's my game. <laughs> yeah. That sounds really annoying, and it makes me glad. Like, honestly, just the thought of that makes me glad that I haven't played basketball besides, like, shooting around in years, you know? Like, oh, my God. When I lived in Mexico, we had, like, a daily pickup game. Um, Like, there was, like, a community of, like, 100 poker players who all lived in this small Mexican beach town. That sounds fun as hell. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, and so, like, you know, 10 to 20 of us every morning before we started playing poker would – uh like play pickup or whatever. And there was just one guy who was like that, who was like you. And like, anytime I got matched up against him, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> like, dude, dude, stop trying, please, please stop. Just let me, let me get my shots up, please. 
Yeah, no. So, so I, I don't really play that level of defense and pickup, but um, I do. I did in in high school. Like I, that was that was how I played. Like very for very Fred Van Vliet like even you might say. Um, there was but, there was this one there was this one game where he was guarding me, where I just like kept taking a step further back and shooting. Like that was all like he bullied me to the point where I just gave up and I was like spacing from like NBA range. And it was just like, dude, I just please, please stop, please. It's just just I just came here to get some steps in, you know, to get a sweat in. And you're not even letting me move. I'm you have you have defeated me. You won. Please, <laughs> please. Just leave well, me that. Alone. That's the kind of spirit that I need. That we need to get out of Grady Dick. No one's. If I was talking to Grady Dick, I'd be like, and he said that, I'd be like, bro, no one's defeating you. You're undefeated. You are a monster. You're gonna unleash it. You're gonna show the whole league very soon. That's what I'd tell him. And it, and it, it's gonna come true. I think Grady Dick's gonna turn it around for no reason other than I like that he he started out his career this way. Um, but a guy he, who he seems like a nice guy, you know. And like, he seems like a, he seems cool. Well, like he definitely he, seems he's, cool. He's the type of guy that you would want your daughter to marry. You know, first in the gym, <laughs> last out. What are the other white white people things people say? You know, like what 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 what, what, what else we got here? He's too much I, on social I, media. I, but, high IQ guy, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, high high ball IQ guy. First in, last out, all those things. Uh, <laughs> you know, very intimidated when he steps on an NBA court. Um, but a guy who's not intimidated when he steps on an NBA court is Emmanuel Quickly. I know we want to talk about Emmanuel Quickly. We want to talk about RJ Barrett. Two guys who have joined Toronto and kind of shifted the trajectory and 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 kind of where they're going and, and their whole situation over there. Um, quickly, real quick, he's averaging 21 points per 75 with the Raptors, 40% shooting from two-point range, not great, um, but a scorching 47% shooting from three, 85% from the free throw line. Overall, decent 53% effective field goal percentage. Getting to the line about five times per 75, uh, averaging about five rebounds and six assists per 75. All of this, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, is all about consistent with what he was doing in New York in terms of a per-possession basis. Um, but the major difference is he's averaging 21 minutes per game versus the 24 minutes per game he was averaging in New York. You mean 31, right? Uh, 31 minutes per game, yes, versus the 24 he was averaging in New York. Um so I think we're really just seeing his production scale as a starter, which is really good news um, because that is not a given by any means that it can scale in a different environment and in a start as in a starting capacity. So we're seeing that happen. Um, his offensive EPM has had a slight bump with the added responsibility, uh, but his defensive EPM has kind of stagnated around league average for the moment. So, yeah, what are you seeing so far from quickly in Toronto? And, um, you know, what do you want to talk about with him moving forward? So I don't want to say I'm worried about quickly in ter- from like an impact perspective. I think we're beyond that. I do think too much of his offensive impact is coming from his three-point shooting right now. Like that's going to come back down to earth. We I believe that he can be around 40%. He just needs to get more consistent from the mid-range and around the rim. And like it's still a really small sample, but like he's missing shots especially at the rim where I'm like, "Oh, he's going to make those in the long run. Like he's missed a number of bunnies where it's just like, honestly, if I was a Raptors fan who'd never watched him before, I'd be like, Jesus, like, yeah, I hope this isn't, I hope he's not, you know, Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, like honestly, but like if he just became Fred Van Vliet 2.0, that's not a bad play. That's a good player. You know, like that's, I, I don't know if Raptors fans would be 
top outcome. Like you want, they probably want a little bit more than Fred Van Vliet, but I don't think that people would be mad at Fred Van Vliet either. Just, just to hold you there for a second. Do you think, you think that Raptors fans are expecting better than Fred Van Vliet for, from Emmanuel quickly? Like in terms of expectations, not what you think he will be or anything like that. You think that that's what they're expecting? No, I don't think expecting. I I, I said top ceiling outcome. Oh, if I told oh, you, I got you. Got if you, I told you, you quickly, his top ceiling outcome was Fred Van Vliet. I think that would be a little disappointing based on yeah. What, uh, as far as his potential, that's where he would max out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, continue. Yeah. Um, I will. Thank you. Um, I just yeah, just offensively, I've liked how he's fit into the offense. I think he, you know, his his coach Darko has been a little critical of how deferential he's been, like trying to fit in and then sometimes missing the passes. But I do think that like, I don't know if you know this, but the Raptors currently have the second longest streak of 25 plus assist games in NBA history going like it. They, they've had 25 or more. They've had 25 or more assists in like 30 straight games. And yeah, it, what's funny is before the Raptors cracked the top five, the entire rest of the top five or the entire top five was the Steph Curry Warriors. Warriors, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that Curry or Curry quickly and RJ have done a good job of filling fitting into that system. You've already seen like quickly's got a number of back cuts with centers to create layups for himself. He's moving off the ball. He's always been a really good mover off the ball. Like I could honestly talk for hours about Emmanuel quickly because I, I feel like we've had an advantageous position as Knicks fans of understanding just how misunderstood this player is. Like we've gone through it all, you know, like he was Lou Williams 2.0 and then like, Oh no, he was like, he's actually just this, he's this guy who can't get to the rim. All I can do is shoot threes. And then now it's like there, there was this, Oh, actually he's not that good an offensive player. He's only all of his impact is encapsulated defensively. And like, on both sides of the ball, I feel like he's misunderstood. And I think the most likely outcome for him is for him to be some version of like Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Bleet, which is probably, uh, I don't know if it's going to annoy Raptors fans, but like I would be surprised if he ever becomes the guy. But if you, if Scotty Barnes does become the guy, Emmanuel quickly is one of the handful of guys I want on your team next to Scotty Barnes. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that needs to be more, uh, more readily understood throughout the NBA sphere. I think that too many people view impact linearly. And it's like, if you're the third best player, then, and the best player goes out, okay, then you're the second best player. And I think quickly is kind of the face of, if you put him in, a role where he can succeed, he's going to allow other players to succeed in their roles. You know, like he, he's just so, so good at so many different things that he's just a guy you want on your team. Um, that may sound very basic, but it's just, it's tough no, to, it doesn't sound basic at all. And, and obviously, like you said, us as, as Knicks fans and people who watched every Nick game and, and probably have, watched every Nick game in the past that Emmanuel quickly has played in. And if not once, multiple times, um, we've got to see all of these intricacies and nuances to his game that you're talking about. And I, 
generally agree with you as far as like the player that Emmanuel quickly has been and as far as who I see him potentially becoming like you know I think a Fred Van Vliet level player and style of player with a little bit of better shooting I think is totally something that I think is achievable for him I think he'll get it done defensively in a little different of a way, right? But I think he could have a similar type of impact um, being a better off-ball defender, help defender, um, orchestrator of the defense, whereas Fred Van Vliet is a better on-ball defender guy. He's, he's good off-ball as well, but on-ball, he's a pit bull and, and a fire hydrant and difficult to move even against, you know, playing against bigger opponents. So I, I could kind of see that. that. That's, yeah. so, sorry to hop in here. That's yeah, just kind of That's kind of what I meant by his how misunderstood he is because I feel like when you say something, not you, but the, the general you say something like, okay, he's going to be a Fred Van Vliet type. And they're like, well, but he can't be Fred Van Vliet because he doesn't have the on ball defense of a Fred Van Vliet. And it's like, okay. And, and then you watch Emmanuel quickly play defense and you see those times where his size is an issue. And I want to be very clear. His size is an issue defensively sometimes, he does his best when he's, you know, like I've seen him match on Jason Tatum and hold his own. But, you know, there are times when just bigger guards or wings take advantage of him. And that, and you watch that happen and you immediately are like, okay, he can't be that good a defender because it just doesn't, natural intuition doesn't tell you that a guy like Emmanuel Quickly can be a miniature Draymond Green type of player on that side of the ball. And so I think if you're listening to this, the first thing to understand about Emmanuel quickly is that when you're discussing him, there aren't going to be many people who truly understand what makes him special or unique or really, really good. Um, and that's just kind of what I was trying to nail down. I was just being a little clumsy with my words. No, I think, I think you articulated it well. And I, and I, I hear that and, and agree with you. And um, I think that the only thing that it's not necessarily pushback, but I guess for me, I do think for him to kind of hit his ceiling, and you may agree with this, hit his ceiling as an impact level player um, on the offensive end at least, is to have a little bit, bit more of the the kind of Tyrese Maxey in him. Um, you know, you call them, you know, he said he was too, <laughs> people said he was Lou Williams 2.0. Um, and I think it's like funny to us is like, again, people who've watched so much Emmanuel quickly over the years, at the same time, it's like he said his favorite player was Lou Williams, you know, um, and I feel like, do you think he thinks he can't be Tyrese Maxey? Because I am pretty sure I really strongly believe that he believes he can be Tyrese Maxey. Um, he does. He's just not as good as Maxey at getting to the rim. Um, yeah. And like you see it all the time. You see quickly struggle to create advantages in the half court. Um, and like even in, you know, simple pick and roll plays, he'll get two feet in the paint and then he'll just pick up his dribble and turn his back to the basket and have nowhere to go, you know, and someone needs to bail him out. You know who's gotten really good at bailing him out in those spots is R.J. Barrett. Like R.J. Barrett seems to have a sense for when quickly is about to run out of real estate and make a random cut. And he's actually assisted R.J. on that action a number of times this season. Um I just don't think he'll ever be the player Maxi is offensively. I was just going to stop can... you real quick just because it's kind of fun. It's like, I don't, I know you don't mean it this way. It feels like kind of damning to quickly where it's like RJ is like, 
I know this guy's going to get stuck. Let me like, this is my chance to to cut and get open because he's going to get stuck at some point. I've seen it happen way too many times. <laughs> I'm looking yeah, make myself I mean, available. <laughs> everybody, every player has a weakness. I'm not, I'm not going to act like Emmanuel quickly is the perfect player. Um, yeah, of course. I don't think RJ would be seeing it like that. Like, Oh God, this guy sucks. I got to go help him. I think he's just reacting, you know, like reacting in a natural yeah. way. Yeah, um, yeah. I was just being, I was just making a joke, but yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of RJ Barrett, XJ, so we had a conversation earlier on this podcast, uh, episode two, episode three, and we talked about the sustainability of RJ Barrett's production because he had an extremely encouraging first seven games of his season. And then you were skeptical. You said, you know, a ton of his impact is being carried by his three-point shooting and you were quite confident that his three-point shooting was come going to come back down to earth so i am curious and i have some numbers in my head but i would first before i share the numbers with you and our listeners and we get out of here i i would like to hear your thoughts on what you've thought of rj in toronto so far and if that's at all changed his trajectory to you I think he's been really good in Toronto and and one of the bigger things about how good he's been is I mean the first thing that's going to stand out to me is three-point shooting everyone knows at this point if you're listening to the podcast and if you are at this point in the podcast you know that I love shooting and I think it's the most important skill in basketball and the most impactful skill um, in basketball and so I always look at a guy shooting I look at RJ shooting he's shot 44 percent um, you know, from three since he's been in Toronto, which I do still think is an unsustainable rate for him. Um, so that does make me feel a little concerned about, you know, that everything is flowing downhill from the shooting. At the same time, I do think he's been better with decision making. And I think that that's been the really always the key for RJ as far as, uh, you know, as, uh, including also his rim finishing. So when he gets to the rim, can he actually finish? Um, that's been the other thing that I want to see from RJ on a more consistent basis, but the thing that he can control on any given night, you know, or you would think so would be his decision-making as far as which shots to take um, and when to pass out, when to like try to actually finish at the rim, when to actually take mid-range shots. If he should ever take mid-range shots, what kinds of threes he should be taking, should be taking them off the dribble or catch and shoot um, when he should kick it, when he should look to attack a matchup, all of those things, every individual minute decision that he needs to make on the court. And those really pile up very quickly. And I think when we see RJ make good ones more than not, we see him have a good impact. And when we see him make poor ones more than not, we see his impact really plummet. And that is including and independent of the three point shooting. So I do think for RJ to have really the level of impact that we want to see from RJ, the way that he's played in Toronto, the way that he played early in New York um, early this season, he's going to need the shooting to be around 40% if he's going to be like that level player. If he comes down to what I think he'll shoot for his career, which is like 37, 38%, um, I think that's kind of what he'll be around if he continues to work at it. I think he can only go so high independently of like how good his decision-making can be. So that's, that's still where I kind of am with RJ Barrett. So your intuition is very good. Um, and, or just your eye is very good. So a couple numbers I want to throw at people in the first seven games of the season, RJ Barrett took uh 16 or he took 16 shots from between 10 and 19 feet. 
Doesn't seem like that many. In eight games in Toronto, he's only taken five of those shots. In seven, in the first seven games of the season, he shot 54 times from within nine feet, and he was shooting 57% from that range. In his last eight games, he's already gotten there 70 times. So he's 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 shooting almost 10 times a game from inside nine feet, and that number is up to 63%. So these are some indicators that whether it's the system, you know, he's averaging a, a full assist more per 100 possessions, whether it's the system, it can't be the spacing. They went four of 32 from three. Like nobody on that team can shoot except for quickly, especially when Gary Trent Jr. is out. But it does, and this is another eye test thing where my eyes could be tricking me. I don't know about you, actually, but when I watch, I still do feel like the spacing is slightly better for R.J. Barrett specifically. You know, like it, it does feel yeah. easier for him to get downhill on this team than it is than it was on the Knicks. So I don't actually know what the numbers are, but I feel like, and I could be wrong about this because, I, again, I don't know what the numbers are. They didn't shoot well the other night. I feel like since quickly and RJ have been on the team, their shooting has been really good. And obviously the a large part that's because quickly himself is shooting 47% and RJ himself is shooting 44%. But I do think like Pascal has been shooting. Well, I, I think that Scotty Barnes has been shooting well. He's been shooting well all season. Um, Gary Tran has been knocking down shots. I think even Dennis Schroeder has been shooting well since they've been there. So I, I I'm not sure, but I kind of feel like the spacing has been better because the the shooting has been better and I and I know that there's not a necessarily a complete one-to-one correlation there it really depends on how much opponents respect your your shooting is going to determine the spacing environment but I do feel like the shooting has been good enough that it's it's opened things up for RJ but yeah that, I, I could be wrong I don't have the numbers in front of me yeah I just feel like I something I've talked a lot about is functional spacing and so, like, the last time we talked about the Raptors, um, we talked about Siakam and how it would be nice if he shot like he shot in the past. And by the way, once again, your intuition is great. Since uh, since January 1st, the Raptors are fourth in the NBA at three-point percentage, despite that yeah. four for 32 clunker. They are shooting, yeah. They're shooting 39.3% from three. The only teams better than them are the Clippers, Pelicans, and wouldn't you know it, the Celtics. Um, so that that could be part of it. I I just think the Raptors are they create gravity. I wish I had a better way to ex- explain this. It just it it almost doesn't seem to matter who's on the court to them. When I watch the Raptors, the court just feels bigger to me. And maybe you're right, but like maybe you're right that it's just oh they're in. I've I've watched them a little bit more recently, and they're shooting better, and so that's just it. It could just be a bias I'm creating in my head. But what, I do what think do you some think of it, it is. You think it's like an oh you were about to say. Go ahead. Yeah, I think I think some of it is just like the system. They encourage more movement off the ball. They encourage more off ball action. I think as Knicks fans we get so used to this idea that like, okay, there's a high pick and roll and then the other guys just stand there, you know, and there are ways to create space that aren't directly created by the ball handler. Like the Nick system, the space is created by it's, it's, it's an interactive thing. So let's say Jalen Brunson is running high screen and roll with a center, you know, with Isaiah Hardenstein. 
it's on the shooters to initially create the space for Brunson because you don't want to help off of Quentin Grimes or Dante DiVincenzo or OG Ananobi. But then it's on Jalen Brunson to use that space to force those defenders to collapse because if they don't collapse, then he's going to get a layup. Like So it's an interactive gravity that's being created. Other teams are more advanced. They they do they use off ball screens off ball sets you know they they have all this stuff going off the ball that naturally creates the space in a way where okay there's not as much pressure on Emmanuel quickly or RJ Barrett or Scotty Barnes to force the collapse you know you're you're not you're not it's not an advantage creation system it's trying to more naturally create advantages off the ball for your guys and so to me that opens up the court in a way that doesn't put as much pressure on the ball handlers which should help a guy like Emmanuel quickly, who, in my opinion, creates space off the ball, but might need a little bit of help on the ball to create advantages. Because in my opinion, he's not, and I'm not sure he'll ever be a supernatural advantage creator with the ball in his hands. Yeah, I think this is a great, I think this is a great point. It's, it, this is such a difficult thing that's to, to pinpoint via like eye test or even film study. Like you can go back and look at it a ton of times and it's still going to be really hard to uh, identify the differences here and, and the differences in terms of the spacing. You know, I say that in a general way, the spacing that the team generates or has or creates. I do think it's almost this idea of the way that you painted it sounds to me like a sort of like a passive space creation versus an active space creation and when I say passive I mean by having shooting on the court just a player's existence there right is is generating that spacing but it's passive they're not doing anything they're just there they, they exist and therefore they, they create space uh, a better space environment for the team to be able to capitalize on like a high pick and roll or, or even isolation play now, on the other hand, you have where there's an active spacing generation where like they're doing something physical. They're doing off ball screening. They have, um, you know, some motion on the weak side. And that is creating a distraction enough from those players who would be helping uh, toward, more towards the strong side. And then now there's spacing that is generated that way through an active movement from the players on the court. So those are the two different kinds of ways. And it's actually funny because when you were talking about this, I was thinking about there was one specific play from the most recent Knicks game when they played the Magic and Deuce McBride was on the wing and Dante DiVincenzo was in the corner and they were the only two on the strong side. On the weak side, there was some action going on where like, I don't know, Randall was like running through an off-ball screen and OG was doing an off-ball screen. And so I, I forget if it was Precious or Chew or someone like that. There was a bunch of stuff going on and I'm not the best film analyst, so I don't know specifically what was happening. I know there was some off-ball screening and movement on the, on the weak side. And then Deuce and Dante just passed it back and forth. Deuce packed it, passed it to Dante in the corner, and he was able to just beat his man and get all the way to the rim um, going baseline. And there was no help because all of those three defenders were occupied on the weak side from all the action that was going on. And it's not something the Knicks do a ton, but it, they did do it on that play. And that was like that was like really refreshing. I was like, wow, that's awesome because Dante and, and Deuce were able to just play this kind of two-man game, and Dante is not you know, the best off the ball, off the dribble, but he was able to beat his man and get all the way to the rim and finish. And also he's not a great finisher. Speaking of poor rim finishers, um, but they were able to get it done because of the off ball spacing for on the weak side. So I think that's a great point. And it's really hard to pinpoint 
how much more of that Toronto is doing and how that actually impacts the bottom line, but it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. And, and I think, I think it could really be changing in terms of the amount of spacing that a guy like RJ and a guy like quickly has in those two different environments. So I, I think it's a great point. I'm also curious to see, you know, we, we brought it up at the top with the Siakam. I'm curious to see what kind of lineups the Raptors deploy if and when Siakam gets traded. Because, you know, RJ's doing the best he can right now, and there are certain advantages to him playing the position he does. But I truly believe that his natural position in this league is uh, in the Jason Tatum-like role. I know there are defensive deficiencies, potential defensive deficiencies, that maybe uh, limit how you build your roster predicate how you build your roster you know you need certain things on the wings next to him you need a small forward maybe who can guard up a little bit for the bigger wings and you need lots of shooting but i do think that if well they have scotty barnes so i don't know what i'm talking about actually scotty barnes and rj barrett are like a really nice interactive three four in theory if rj keeps growing they haven't gotten much chance at all to run you know barnes rj at the three four with you know shooting at the guard positions um you mean like quickly trent rj scotty and pertle something like that yeah or even yeah well pearl would be great but like you know this like jonte jonte porter at center like that's the dream lineup from a spacing perspective right now for the raptors is you know quickly and one of gary trent or dennis schroeder with rj and uh scotty barnes and then porter at center um, Darko is really high on Porter shooting, really, really high uh, on his shooting at center. Uh, for those who don't know, that's Michael Porter Jr.'s brother, uh, recently drafted. And he shot like 37% last year on, on, I don't think a ton of attempts, but you know, yeah, like, I mean, he's, was, he played like 10 games or something like that. Look, he's Michael Porter Jr.'s brother. He's not shy. You know, like <laughs> he, he likes, he likes to get his shots up. Um, he's good. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what the lineups look like without Siakam because I, Look, I don't think they're going to do much this year. I think they're a smart franchise, and I think Darko's a good coach. It wouldn't surprise me to see them sneak into the play-in if they get if they get you know healthy, if they get Pirtle back, if Gary Trent's playing more consistently and actually making shots. Um, it, it just wouldn't surprise me to see them be the ten or the nine seed. But I don't think they're going to do much this year. I think they're in a good place going forward, though. Of course, I really like quickly. I really like quickly as. Um, a supporting piece to Scotty Barnes. And I think that right now Scotty Barnes has been the most deferential of their big four. And that's fine. Like he, he's kind of like a Giannis type, you know, like he's going to impact in other ways and he can, he's shooting well from three, but I do think the Raptors Scotty Barnes needs to be priority one with Emmanuel quickly being priority two. And that's okay because Emmanuel quickly is, as I've detailed, a very good priority two. And when Siakam's gone, those pieces are going to more naturally fall in place, into place. And I think long term, it's going to be addition by subtraction. Yeah, I think it's all great points. I have one like last question for you, which is, do you think that they that that's a good enough core? You know, um, quickly, let's say a two to fill in RJ, Scotty, and a five if it's Jakob, if it's you know. Porter fills out. I mean, if Porter fills out, it'd be a different dynamic because then they'll have five shooters on the court, which would be awesome. But um, 
yeah, I, I guess I guess I'm just wondering if you think like long term that's like a, a good enough core to really compete in the Eastern Conference. Like compete, compete, like win a championship? Like be a top five team in the East in the East, basically. Yeah, I think I think they are they're closer than people would think. Um I I do think it's, you know, a year or two away. But you know, Barnes, RJ, and Quickly are all 24 and under, you know, um, get them to their age, 26, 27 for Barnes, 24, 25 season. And I, I think that you're going to be looking at adding pieces that fit in next to them. I, th- I think you want to see the two or three of them build chemistry together. And here's the good thing about it with how quickly and Barnes are and, and Barnes is kind of a, a taller quickly almost like I I could just see Barnes fitting next to certain types of stars. The beautiful thing about Barnes and quickly is if their individual ceilings don't end up being as high as the Raptors hope they are right now, they've still already proven to be good supporting pieces. So you can go out and try to acquire a star a different way, you know? And so like, I don't think he wants to play there, but let's just say hypothetically Devin Booker found his way in Toronto. Like how good that's the person I was thinking as at the two. That's the person I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. So like if they, they, they find themselves in those conversations for whatever reason. And they're like, Hey, you can win a championship here. You have two really high level supporting pieces. Next, That's an outcome. And to me, that's the most important thing about this Raptors thing that they're building right now. They're not locked into one path forward. You know, they're, they're going to take their swing right now. And they're going to see, okay, Emmanuel, okay, RJ, okay, Scotty. Like, once we trade Siakam, we're going to give you guys some time and let's see how high you guys can fly. But there needs to be a pivot point where it's like, okay, we've tried. We don't see the ceiling there. We're going to try to bring in another star. And boom, now all of a sudden, these guys can still bring impact, especially Barnes and Quickly. They can still impact at a high level. And that's a different path to that team being really good. So I think I think they have multiple ta- multiple paths to to true contention in the next five years. Yeah, I love it. I I think I I largely agree with you. To me, I think if this if the core is going to be those three, and then you know fitting in another guy, I think we have to see this RJ. And by this RJ, I mean the RJ we've seen in the last eight games. If this if that's the RJ that we see, then I think it's enough. I think you know, Barnes is going to get better quickly. is going to get better. And RJ doesn't have to get better. If this is the RJ, I think this would be good enough, but I, you know, I'm skeptical. Um, I'm hopeful because I, I, you know, I would love to see RJ Barrett succeed, but, um, yeah, I think, I think he's going to need to be at this level. If he's going to be a part of that core in terms of, you know, the Raptors getting to the potential ceiling, um, even if they add another guy, that's that, a really good player, star level player, even. So yeah, there, yeah there, there's not, there's not much wiggle room with RJ. That's the problem with him. That's always been the problem with him is like, if, if it doesn't work out for him, there's no like, okay, but you can keep him on the court and he can no like he's either helping exactly. you or he's, he's either helping you or he's hurting you. The thing I've always loved about Emmanuel quickly is you know, there were games for the Knicks where he would go three for 13. It's like, yeah, but he's still helping you out there. You know, like he's still a supporting piece and being additive to the really good players on the team. And so there are other people who are like more skeptical about the ceiling of Mayo quickly than I am, or maybe even you are. And that's fine. I, I'm not here to force anybody's hand and be like, no, this is a star. 
what I do want to convince everyone is that whether Emmanuel quickly is a star or not, he's helping you when he's on the court. And you might be higher on RJ Barrett's star ceiling. That's, you know, again, I'm not going to convince you you're wrong about that, but if RJ Barrett isn't playing like he's playing in Toronto right now, like he was playing in New York, you know, at the start of the season, he's hurting you. Like that's, that's the distinct difference between those two players. Um, because he's not, you know, and I keep using this word, but he's not an additive type player. It's not like he's just out there and naturally doing these things that are helping you game in and game out. The a huge percentage of how he impacts the game is predicated on how well he puts the ball in the basket or how well he creates opportunities for his teammates to put the ball in the basket. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. And I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, this is a good conversation about the Raptors, um, and a good conversation previously about the Rockets. So good stuff, Jeff. Uh, thank you all for listening to hot hand theory. Please leave a like, please subscribe. Um, you know, we've, we've taken on a bunch of new subscribers over the past week and that's awesome. We're super happy to see people here and joining in on the conversation. Um, all of our conversations are something like this really fun dialogues where we explore like new and interesting ideas that may not have been previously considered in, in, you know, traditional NBA circles. So, uh, super fun conversations. Glad you're with us and tuning in and, uh, yeah, this has been hot hand theory.